Great news, everyone. Jesus is alive and well. This is Glenn Raglan, Educational and Transformational Ministries. Great Ministries. Welcome to this week's podcast. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We magnify you and we glorify your great name. We pray for the listeners of this week's podcast, and we also pray for the new listeners. We pray for the victims and their families of the latest shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. We pray the blood of Jesus over stomach cancer. We pray that your word will go forth. It will not return to you void. It will accomplish what you sent it to do. In the name of our horn of salvation, Jesus Christ, amen. We continue our series on the last teachings of Jesus Christ before he went to the cross, and today we look at the questions asked by the religious leaders that were meant to trap Jesus and discredit him. The first question, actually two questions, is found in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, and it says, Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? My friends, the chief priests were in charge of the temple as prescribed in the Old Testament law. The scribes were teachers of the law, and the elders were representatives of the Jewish aristocracy. They were all part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish governing body. Their questions were a response to the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling one of the many messianic prophecies. And this one is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, a fold of a donkey. My brothers and sisters, Jesus was at the end of three years of ministry, and his popularity had grown. He had performed miracles, fed multitudes, healed diseases, and his most recent miracle was that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now Jesus had come to the temple and turned over the money changers' tables and those who bought and sold animals to be sacrificed during Passover. It was simply more than the religious leaders could take, since Jesus was not a priest, a scribe, or an elder. They wanted to know by what authority did he have to do these things. Listen to the response of Jesus in verses 29 through 31. He said to them, I also ask one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. Folks, the question that Jesus asked placed the religious leaders in a dilemma. If they answered from heaven, they would incriminate themselves for not believing John, supporting his ministry, and rejecting God's messenger. But more importantly, they would be forced to acknowledge that the authority of Jesus came from God. Since they did not believe, this answer was unacceptable. But if they answered that John's baptism came from men, they would deny John was commissioned by God and discredit themselves before the people. They feared the people because everyone regarded John as a prophet. 
The people also regarded Jesus as a prophet. So they said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. My friends, Jesus had told the leaders in the past that he had authority from God, since no man could do the miracles which he did, unless God was with him. Folks, Jesus was letting us know that he is still large and in charge. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The next trap set for Jesus involved world politics, and that's found in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. It says, Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the partnership between the followers of the wicked king Herod and the religious Pharisees were brought together in an effort to get Jesus to say something that would be deemed treason against the Roman government. Their pretense at flattery was all too evident, and it preceded their trap question about taxes. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy, and in Matthew's gospel, he knows their wickedness, and in Luke's gospel, he knows their craftiness. The Romans taxed each province based on the registration of its citizens through a census. During the ministry of Jesus, the Roman emperor, or Caesar, was Tiberius. A denarius was a silver coin worth a day's wages. The religious Pharisees resented having to pay tax with a coin with a graven image of Tiberius on it. The answer that Jesus gave them still applies to us today, and that is, we have an obligation to the state, and we also have an obligation to God. My Christian comrades, our taxes pay for law and order, military protection, good roads, good schools, good parks, and the public building projects that we enjoy. However, certain things belong to God, our souls, and our worship. Luke's gospel says in Luke chapter 20, verse 26, But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. In Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, Jesus deals with another group, the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection, angels, or demons. They were the wealthy elite who aligned themselves politically to whoever was in charge in order to maintain their wealth. The Sadducees brought to Jesus an extreme example of the Leveret Law found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. If a man died without an heir, his brother was to marry his widow, and the first son would be named the man's name in order to keep the property and bloodline within the family. 
The Sadducees' example was that each of the seven brothers married the widow after the preceding brother died, leaving the next brother in line. Their question was, whose wife will she be in heaven? The Sadducees were mocking the belief in the resurrection, as do many in today's world. Jesus' answer in verse 24 was a double-edged sword. First, it tells them that they were mistaken because, number one, they did not know the scriptures, nor, number two, the power of God. Folks, they did not realize that God is able to raise a person from the dead. Jesus says in verse 25 that after we rise from the dead, we will not marry in heaven or have arranged marriages in heaven, but are like the angels in heaven. My friends, we marry on earth to procreate, but in heaven, procreation will no longer be needed. The angels who are in heaven worship God, and so will we. Now, very little is written in the Bible on the earthly relationships in heaven. Since the Sadducees did not believe in angels, and Jesus saying that we will be like the angels in heaven, it was a direct swipe at their unbelief. Jesus goes on to teach that when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He did not say he was the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, putting them in the past tense. He is the God of the living, present tense, even of the patriarchs. The last question asked of Jesus before he went to the cross by people other than his disciples is found in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, when the scribe came to him and asked, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him in verses 29 through 30, proclaiming, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. My brothers and sisters in Christ, unlike the other groups that had tried to catch Jesus in his words, this scribe appears to ask an honest question. Jewish religious groups would have discussions about which law was the most important. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, called the Shema, which is the Jewish confession of faith. Every devout Jew recites the Shema twice a day. Jesus taught that our entire being should be consumed by our love for God, to love Him with our minds, our emotions, and our wills. Jesus proceeded to link Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, with the Shema, showing that the two could not be separated. If we love God, we will love our neighbors. The scribe agreed with Jesus, and Jesus commended the scribe. Mark chapter 12, verse 34b says, After that, no one dared question him, as Jesus would turn the tables and question the religious leaders. My comrades for Christ, there are many brilliant people in the world who think they know more than the God who created them. As we prepare to observe Holy Week, let us remember the Bible has not revealed the answers to every question. Some answers will be waiting on us in heaven. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which contained the words of life. We praise the name of Jesus for coming to die on the cross for our sins and for rising with all power. In the name of the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ, amen. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ, type in the words, Jesus saved me, and send it to our email address. Your words are your confession of faith. And if you believe that Jesus can save you and raise you from the dead, you are saved. I continue to encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church. Send your prayer request as well as your praise reports to our email address, which is again, hello at greatministries.org. Please continue to pray for Great Ministries and share us with your friends, your family, your loved ones, and the unsaved. Stay safe, be blessed, and have a great week.